Hey guys, and welcome to my show. In this episode, I sat down with Mark Kenny to hear his story. Mark is someone who started as a passive investor, but later became a syndicator. We're talking about a very experienced investor. He has over 20 years of experience investing in real estate. He owns 2,600 units, and he's also the founder of Think Multifamily, where he teaches investors how to go big and fast. So you see, Mark has been doing this for a while now, and his message to you, the listeners, is to do things the right way and to be careful about the partners you choose and the amount of freedom you give the people around you. His story is about a deal he got into with a partner, and it's interesting because he knew that partner and trusted him, but he later found out that his partner was a very different person than he thought he was. He trusted someone that should have not been trusted. And the result? I was literally sick to my stomach for weeks on end, um, like literally, uh, not sleeping, uh, losing weight. It's one thing to have your own money in it. It's when you have other people's money, and some people have a lot of money in it, right? Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Today, we have Mark Kenny on the show. Hi, Mark. Hi, Ellie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for, for being here today. So for those of you who don't know Mark, Mark is a seasoned real estate investor. He's an educator and author and the founder of Think Multifamily. He's also a CPA and was in IT consulting for over 20 years where he consulted for Fortune 500 companies. He has been leveraging his uh, vast IT experience to bring new and creative technologies to the multifamily space. Mark started his apartment investing career over 20 years ago. He is passionate about helping others succeed in the multifamily arena and go big and fast. Uh, Mark has invested in 2,600 units and has a top-notch reputation among the multifamily investing community. Hello, Mark. Hello. Yeah. And I guess now it's about, uh, I'm doing the, it's about 25 years ago I started, which kind of dates me a little bit, but uh, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's that's great. That's pretty great. I mean, 2,600 units, that's um, that's pretty impressive. Oh uh, yeah, we had some help along the way, so it's good, but uh, we're just trying to, trying to find good deals out there. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, Mark uh, has a really interesting story that I think a lot of people, a lot of you who are listening can really benefit from, especially since in the multifamily and the syndication business, a lot of people partner up with others and form partnerships in order to go big, bigger, and faster. So without further ado, why don't we just uh, dive into the story and, and hear, you know, your experience? Yeah, I have probably a lot of stories, but I'll, I'll uh, share the one that's been the most painful to me. 
a lot of pain and you know lessons learned and things like that but the story that's uh, most painful to me was it i had a partner that i had done a couple deals with uh so first off make sure you know you have everything in writing and things like that which we did mm -hmm. uh, this partner of mine had another deal that he already owned so he owned the deal already and he wanted to buy out another partner so i came in i raised capital from my investor pool bought out uh my partner's partner right came into the deal we kept the same company the same llc stayed the same there are a lot of advantages why we did that so we brought in investors we closed on the deal after about two months you know, I did kind of a surprise visit. It was in Atlanta. I flew from Dallas to Atlanta and some things just didn't seem to be adding up from what the, my partner was telling me. So at this point, Mark is suspecting that something is not right. He's flying out to see the property and what he found out will shock him. Fortunately, we had a board of directors set up, kind of a little unusual, but we did. And there were five members. so. Four of us basically requested information from my partner and he never produced it. Things like how much money have you spent on the construction so far? How much money do you still need to spend? Things that you would think somebody would be able to provide to you pretty easily. So um, this went on. So within about two months of closing on the deal, I had major concerns over it and we removed him. So we voted for four of us voted to remove him as uh manager he was a property manager of the project as well once we did that we had a lot of issues after that so keep in mind we bought into an existing llc so we removed him then all of a sudden all these invoices from eight months before i even got involved in the project started showing up invoices that were never recorded on the books before um, agreements he claims he had with other partners that weren't even partners in the deal things like that, to the tune of about a half a million dollars. So Mark just found out that his partner has been stealing from him, and there's investors' money on the line, which is a major problem here. The, the issue we ran into is, you know, we know that he did some things he shouldn't do, which is pretty hard to prove sometimes because he kind of in collusion as far as we can tell with some vendors that he did business with now we're stuck here sitting and this is something i'm still living unfortunately right now but we're stuck here going well how do we prove that the work was done or not we know some of the work wasn't done we know he was being deceitful but now here we're now we're about 16 months later into the project and we we walk up a unit and say well was it painted or not how do we know it's been 16 months we had about a thousand invoices from this one particular vendor, and it might have been $100, $200. The work is so small, and it happened so long ago, we kind of don't, we can't even tell whether the work was done or not, even though we know some things were going on that shouldn't go on. So then we're in litigation, and he's trying to sue, saying we should not should have should not have removed him. Um, we're trying to sue, saying, well, you, you took money that you shouldn't take. Uh, the one project, he, he took money, even doesn't even dispute it. He took money on in some cases. So uh, really for us, looking back on it, really hard lesson learned. We're, we're into this a lot from a legal perspective and time and money and energy. I probably at this point have over 2,000 email exchanges with the attorneys over this ordeal.
which is a lot of emails to go through. Wow. Um, investors, you know, are obviously not happy about it. We tried to, we've been totally transparent and we've been forthcoming with, with the issues. But really, end of the day, looking back on it, I would say I personally would never buy into an existing LLC ever. It, it's just really one of those things that you look at it on paper and it sounds good. And you might do 100 of them. And maybe 100 are great. I don't know. I did one and it was horrible. And I'll never do another one like that again. And I actually was just in outside of Houston last week and having lunch with a guy. And he doesn't know my story. But he said, oh, I'm looking at buying an existing LLC for an apartment complex to save on the taxes, property taxes, right? Because the tax authorities won't know that the property sold. And I'm like, do not do that. And here's my story. And at the end, he's just like, oh, my goodness. I'm so glad we had the conversation. Um, ultimately, he can do whatever he chooses to do, but he is not going to buy into an existing LLC. It, it's just really one of those things that you look at it on paper and it sounds good. And you might do 100 of them, and maybe 100 are great. I don't know. I did one, and it was horrible, and I'll never do another one like that again. That's, that's pretty interesting. Um, I, I want to go back to that point where you realize that something is not right. What happened that led you to understand that's, that something was not you know, going smoothly or as planned? Right. So first it was me asking questions. And, and again, you, you kind of have some sort of trust or limited trust in a partner you've already done two deals with. But I trusted him at the time. But I was, then I was asking him like, well, hey, can you send me, we're doing about $2 million rehab project, pretty big project. Can you send me the you know, status? on the project where you are on things. And, you know, I wanted that, that was kind of the, the cadence I wanted to set from the beginning. Well, he would send me draw requests. And all that means is that he's sending, you know, a form to a lender asking for reimbursement. It tells me nothing about what percent done of the project he's done. Right. So I'm like, I need to know what percent done you are. And are we over budget, under budget, just like any rational person would ask for. So I, you know, jumped on a plane, you know, unannounced mm -hmm. and visited the property. And there were, you know, for $2 million project to have, you know, two men and a 14 year old boy literally working on the project <laughs> made me kind of wonder like, what's going on here. You know, you're saying you're spending all this money, but nobody's really here doing much work. And um, we knew it was a big project, but it just wasn't going like it should go. So that's really why we, and I couldn't say, you know, absolute for sure at that point in time that things were still, maybe he's just too busy and didn't want you know, didn't have time to produce things. Mike's partner is not the guy that Mark thought he was. Money is missing. There are no invoices. The rehab work is not moving forward, but there's more. Well, we had a formal board meeting with five of us there, including, you know, he's one of the five. And we formally request the information and he doesn't produce it and still has not produced it to this day. That's a big wow. issue. Yeah. Um, but it really was kind of, um, you know, don't, don't give people too much room to, to not produce things you're asking for, whether it's your partner, whether it's a property management company and lots of times your gut, um, you know, is, is accurate. And, you know, I had no indication whatsoever that he was doing anything until I started asking those questions and you know, we didn't have these same problems on another deal that we had and, and things like that. So 
I think he just got over his head. I think he really literally is in collusion with a vendor and had to pay them money. And, you know, you know, the story gets even, you know, more like a reality TV show that the, it's a Korean mafia that he's literally in collusion with and no joke. Oh, so, um, oh, wow. you know, it's, it's one of those things. End of the day, this could have been avoided if we would have just done a new you know, LLC for it. So, so you just, you just said that he colluded with the mafia. Does it, the vendor that's so the vendor we've heard this from multiple sources. So, you know, uh, not independently that, uh, it's part of the Korean mafia, this vendor and the vendor is out doing this, you know, to the, you know, several hundred thousand dollars, uh, for a property. It's a consistent thing they've been doing and continue to do. And they put liens on the property. They get in collusion with somebody on the inside. Then they both sign off on it. And what's your defense? The vendor says he did it. And the property manager company says they did it. Yes, you can go and in, in, inspect. But in our case, we're, we're eight months past. You know what I mean? They were never recorded on the books. We had no idea that these vendors supposedly even did work on the property. So when we went to go look for and see if the work was done, we have we don't have a good argument that the work was done or not because it's been too long. Wow, that's that's one hell of a story. Probably a, a nightmare, more of a story. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough tough lesson learned, and mm-hmm. um, and it just goes back to you know we had problems removing him. So make sure your agreements are written with your partners, you know, mm-hmm. in in a way that assume every single thing will go horribly wrong, and and pray that nothing does. Um, and there are other, you know, minor things too in agreements that we've we've learned over the years, like putting things in there. Let's say you and I are partnering together on a project. We buy the deal together. Three years later, I want to sell and you don't want to sell. What I do? Well, if the agreement doesn't doesn't contemplate that, which most don't, then I'm stuck. I can't sell. So having things in there, you know, having an attorney involved that have like tag along clauses and things like that, where I can force you to sell or buy me out. You don't have a choice. At a certain price, market value, and things like that. But learning those lessons about what should be included and not included, because everyone at the beginning is all, they're, it's hunky dory, your partners, everything's great until it's not. Or until someone does something they shouldn't be doing. And now you know, you're, you're rereading your agreement again, you know, two years later, trying to figure out what was in there. So making sure that you have a really solid joint venture agreement up front that contemplates every single thing that could go wrong is really, really important. It'll save you a lot of time uh, in the long run. Mm -hmm. And that's what you do today. You probably use the help of a lawyer to, to draft an agreement. I do. Absolutely. So anyone that thinks they can create these documents, unless they're already attorney themselves, I would say, you know, spend the money on the attorneys for it and everything contracts and, and everything you do, you know, I've, I've reviewed, I don't even know, hundreds of contracts. I can catch a lot of things, but still, even from your investor standpoint, you don't want to tell your investor, well, yeah, I reviewed the contract, it looked good. Uh, you want to have someone that's an attorney that does that, right? So, uh, but yeah, don't, don't think that you're saving money on attorneys or by doing everything yourself and doing due diligence by yourself and things like that. You want to hire the professionals to do that. You pay for it, but it doesn't cost you. It's going to save you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great advice. Um, 
I <clears throat> I used to be a uh, real estate attorney, real estate lawyer before. So I, I know it's lawyers always think um, they're always forward looking and they always think what is what are all the different scenarios that could go wrong? Every, anything and everything that could go wrong, we want to protect the client from. And that's basically and, you know, lawyers can be very creative and what could go wrong. And sometimes they complicate the language a bit more than than right. they should have. But right. I, I absolutely agree. This is um, this is def- definitely a must. This is not where you want to try and save money because that will cost you along the way. And it's just part of, you know, the cost of doing business. It is. And and you you talked a little bit about investors and, and you know, see it from their point, point of view. Were you syndicating that deal? Yes. So, so walk me through your your thought process. So, you, you're partnering with someone that you trusted. Uh, you're buying, you know, his his LLC, and you're bringing investors on board. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh my god, something is not right. Right. What's going on in the back of your head, or you know, what's going on inside when you realize you actually have investors' money on the line? I was literally sick to my stomach for weeks on end, um, like literally, uh, not sleeping, uh, losing weight. It's one thing to have your own money in it. It's when you have other people's money and some people have a lot of money in it, right? We did everything in my mind possibly can. We called them quickly. I mean, it's a, it's a horrible, horrible situation, but it, I don't feel like, well, we could have done anything differently other than, of course, to, to not buy into the LLC, but we communicated out. Of course, we had some investors frustrated, which I totally understand. But I don't feel like we never, we, we communicated out that, hey, we think he stole money, um, whether we can prove it or not. Um, the project's in trouble. Um, here are some options. And ultimately, even though the legal documents didn't, didn't account for the investors to decide the fate of the deal, we did put it, we, we put it up for a, not a vote per se, because no voting, but we put it up to get people's uh, feedback, investors, what they want us to do do a refinance, bring more money to the deal, sell the deal. Um, but yeah, there's, I don't, I can't remember a time in my life where I've been more stressed and, and literally sick to my stomach. I had to dump $200,000 of my own money back into the deal. Um, just trying to, you know, float. It's horrible. It really is. Well, I, uh, I'm only assuming that everything is a lot better now and, and investors feel more comfortable? I think most do. I mean, I think anytime you syndicate, you're going to have a couple investors that, I mean, I'm just, you know, kind of being frank that we communicate out and, and, and I think they kind of want us to guess, frankly, uh, what's going to happen and what's, you know, what are the steps going to be? We don't know them yet. We try to communicate out as we know the steps and, and we, you know, get paying saying, well, what's, what is, you know, when you're going to know the answer to this, when in some case we don't know the answer. I mean, anytime you're in litigation, if everyone's been through it, you know, we send a document two weeks later, they send it back. They send a, we send a document. It's, it's weeks and months sometimes. And I have no control over that. I can't predict that. I can't, you know, I can't even guess how long it's going to take. So, I mean, I feel like we've communicated every single thing. We told them, you know, we don't believe in the financials. Uh, I had to go to the lender, tell them I don't trust the financials. I wouldn't certify them at the end of the year. I'm a guarantor on the loan, uh, things like that. So those were all things that I communicated out. And I, I don't feel like I could do anything else. But at the end of the day, there's still, I think people want some, you know, 
they want answers to things that can't be answered somewhat. And I get that. I, mean, I get being frustrated, but I don't, I don't want to guess at something and give a piece of information that ends up being incorrect. Yeah. And I think uh, you touched on a very important point, which is the importance actually of, of having an open and honest communications with investors, not, you know, disappearing or trying to, to sugarcoat, you know, the what's going on, um, just to be frank and say, hey, this is what's happening and this is what we're trying to do to solve it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of passive investors that have invested with you that probably you know, continued investing um, in, and they feel better because everyone understands that there's a risk at, at every, you know, deal. So being, being honest and keeping an open channel of communications, that's, that's critical. It is. And, um, you know, I think vetting your investors as well, you know, as a syndicator, vetting them and what their expectations are. But at the end of the day, I mean, most people that have been in real estate for any length of time, they've had some sort of story, unfortunately, where something didn't go as, as planned. Um, this is unfortunate because the property itself still has, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good property with good upside on it. But when you have that kind of, you know, those liens being placed on a property based on things before you even got involved in it, it's, it's hard to dig out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for, for sharing your story. That was very interesting. And um, I think a lot of people can, you know, get a lot of value from the lessons that, that you unfortunately had to learn, you know, firsthand. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. For that. You're welcome. It's uh, I really do hope it it helps people not go through the stress and headaches that I went through and saves them some money as well. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to ask you uh, one of the last questions that I had is uh, the question that I'm asking all of my guests, which is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self if you, yeah. met, if you met that person today? Yeah, so that was quite a while ago. But um, <laughs> my 20-year-old self, I, I would say, um, number one, I didn't believe this before because of my occupation. I was a CPA for a while, as you mentioned, in IT. So it was very transactional. But with real estate in particular, if you're going to be doing real estate, it's all about relationships, without a doubt. So spend the time nurturing the relationships that you have. Get really, really good at something. You don't have to be good at everything. If you get really good at something, you become valuable to a lot of people. And you can make a career out of being really good at one aspect of real estate. You don't have to do it all. Um, I'm involved in every aspect, but get really good at that. And I, unfortunately, I would say, um, you know, the, I think it's a Russian thing that says, um, you know, trust, uh, but verify. So trust, but verify. I think that's, that's backwards. Verify and slowly trust, unfortunately, because um, there are a lot of people out there. Uh, by putting things in writing and doing smart things and talking to people before you do it, you can, you can get through that. So those are all based on my lessons learned, I guess. If I could go back to my 20-year-old self, that's what I would tell myself. Awesome. Awesome. I, I like that. Um, great. So Mark, where can people find you? Uh, my email is Mark, M-A-R-K at thinkmultifamily.com. So Mark at thinkmultifamily.com. Uh, website is thinkmultifamily.com as well. All right. Great. And you also have um, an event coming up, right? We do. So we do multiple events a year. It's a two-day in North Dallas. It's May 19th and 20th. Uh, we have a bunch of panels. We have speakers. We'll talk about all aspects of multifamily investing 
and then we'll we'll walk through in detail 14 steps we go through as well. Uh, we have a lot of people in our group now getting tons and tons of deals pretty quickly. So it's been really cool to see that. That's awesome. Um, so same steps we go through, we'll, we'll walk through with the people that attend and uh, share some lessons learned as well. Similar mm-hmm. to what I just went through. <laughs> and more, unfortunately. <laughs> that, that's great. <laughs> All right. Hey, Mark, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being on my show and uh, for sharing your experience with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.